You are listening to the Forgotten News Podcast. But before we begin, here are a few words about a couple of other podcasts that we think you might want to try. What happens when 20-something Madison is zapped into old-time radio shows? No technology. Ugh, why want to go to voicemail? No Starbucks. Don't call yourself a coffee shop if you only sell drip coffee. And no one is PC. I don't need no lip from... Were you about to say woman? Because I'm wearing a gun and I have no idea how to use it. Madison on the Air serves to highlight the way we were and the way we are today with original radio drama scripts adapted to include the modern-day Madison as she joins famous characters from radio's past, including Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never actually said that. Marshal Matt Dillon. We're not having a shootout with a 10-year-old kid. I'm too woke to be a part of this. Superman. I didn't realize how cold it would be flying like this. I have to get into the higher atmosphere. And many more. Visit us on the web at madisonontheair.com or find us pretty much any place podcasts can be found. You talk so old-timey. I have no idea what you said, but it's adorbs. Did you hear about the Welsh tourists who got drunk and stole a penguin named Dirk from SeaWorld on the Gold Coast? Or the Canadian guy who tried to beat a breathalyzer test by eating his own underpants? Hey, I'm Tara Saraban from World's Dumbest Criminals, an upbeat podcast about deadbeat crims. Join me every Monday to hear about the most ridiculous, bizarre and downright stupid crimes and criminals in the world ever. Like the Australian man who put out an unsuccessful hit on his wife and freaked out when she crashed her own funeral. Or the Chinese woman who deliberately ran 49 red lights in her ex-boyfriend's car. World's Dumbest Criminals is available on iTunes, Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe if you don't want to miss any criminally stupid shenanigans. Welcome to the Forgotten News Podcast. This is your window to hear true stories from long ago. Stories that once made headlines. Stories that people thought would be unforgettable. Yet those stories were soon lost in the sands of time or were buried deep in the dustbin of history. In this podcast, we shake off the sand and dust from those stories and share them here with you as fresh as the day they were first told. And now, here's your hosts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 56 of the Forgotten News Podcast. This is Jim. This is Jessica. And believe it or not, I'm back. Listeners, I can hardly believe it myself. Nevertheless, here I am. 
But unfortunately, our other co-host, Kit Karen, will not be here for this episode. Sorry about that. It was just a scheduling problem. So, we are cautiously optimistic that she will be back for the next episode. Now, for anyone who has been wondering about me during my absence the past few weeks, here's the story behind the story. The short version is, I will never ever hire a moving company ever again. I waited six weeks for my things, and while they did arrive eventually, many things were broken. If you want something done right, and you want to save money, do it yourself. I will never, ever move again. I might die in this apartment, so stay tuned for that. Thank you, Jessica, for that update, as far as the aftermath of your move. But I know that a lot of our listeners were concerned about you in regard to your moving to Texas, mainly because of COVID rampaging throughout the state. Hey, listeners, speaking of COVID, guess what? No matter where you are living, you can help get the COVID crisis under control. And it's really easy. First, wear a mask when you are in public indoors, like when you are at the grocery store or an office building, etc. Second, if you haven't gotten the vaccine, go get it. There's absolutely no cost to get the shot, and it will protect you from ending up in the hospital or dead. So please protect yourself, your family, your friends, and neighbors. Get vaccinated and wear a mask whenever you are out and about. But since this episode is not about vaccinations or pandemics, I think it's time to move on. Yes, because we have something else to talk about that is almost as scary as. COVID. And that is our upcoming annual Halloween episode. So we want to remind our listeners that there is still time for you to send your own personal scary or spooky story to be included. You can either send it as an audio recording or as a written story. Also, you have the option to use either your real name or an alias or to just be anonymous. And, by the way, it doesn't have to be a ghost story. It can be anything scary. All we ask is that the story is true and that it is not something that you copied from a book or that you grabbed from somewhere on the Internet. The deadline for sending stories is September 30th, and the email address is ForgottenNewsPodcast at gmail.com. We are truly looking forward to sharing your story on our Halloween episode. Now, speaking of episodes, let's move along to our featured story on this episode. And the only thing that you really need to know is that our featured story is actually going to be a series of interconnected short stories revolving around a simple everyday object. However, even though this is an object that has a lot of uses, not everyone has one of these because sometimes they can be um, 
not a good thing. Oh, wait. I guess I'm sounding a little mysterious. Well, <laughs> duh. That's the whole idea. We will simply warn you that some of the stories might be unnerving, and some involve death. So, if any of that is upsetting to you, then maybe you should skip this episode. And, for the same reason, we definitely don't think it would be a good idea for children to listen. So, either wait until later when no kids are around, or wear headphones or earbuds. And, with all of that having been said, on with the show! Listeners, do you realize that at this very moment, the world is filled to overflowing with important events that you know nothing about? A man in Paris, for instance, is preparing to force his way into a bank at the point of a gun. But, he is unaware that the police have learned of his plan and are waiting for him. A young woman in Hollywood, California is about to take a screen test that will eventually make her into one of the most famous and envied women on earth. A gentleman in London, England, has invented a new kind of mousetrap, but he is destined for a heartbreaking disappointment when he discovers that the world will not beat a path to his doorstep, notwithstanding what the old saying says. A teenage girl in Boston, Massachusetts, has unwittingly created an amazing new app for improved communication on the internet. But she doesn't have the slightest idea that it will make her rich beyond her wildest dreams. And it was just the same 2,000 years ago when men suddenly realized that the barrel would be the easiest and most convenient method for transporting goods over long distances. The barrel, with its distinct flat bottom and rounded outsides, enabled the storage of a large quantity of products, which otherwise would be too difficult to move over long distances. All that was necessary was to simply pop it on its side and roll it wherever it needed to go, then stack one on top of another. Barrels were also sturdy and easily made watertight. 
This allowed a wide variety of goods, including food and drink, to be transported from port to port. Liquor has a strong connection to barrels. For example, in the U.S., straight whiskey is required to be stored in new charred oak barrels. Cognac brandy can only be aged in oak barrels from one specific forest in France. Did you know that Tabasco sauce is stored and aged in barrels? Now, as innocuous as the history of the barrel might first appear, it was definitely not entirely innocent. There is even a phrase, over a barrel. And, throughout history, many people have found themselves over a barrel, or even in one. And, on this episode, as you might have already guessed, you will be hearing about that other aspect, the dark side of the history of the barrel. So, on that note, we will now turn the story over to our guest narrator, who will be identified shortly afterward. One of the more interesting usages of barrels has to be tied to Niagara Falls. Nearly 40 people find themselves being swept over the falls each year, with the total death count estimated to be over 5,000. Although the majority of deaths have been the result of suicide, some have willingly gone over the falls, with varying degrees of success. Currently, the survival rate of daredevils going over the falls is at 25%. There's two cases of unsuccessful attempts over the falls. The first is the case of Charles Stevens, an amazing barber with a flair for showmanship. Charles, or Charlie as he was known among friends, was always looking for stunts he could pull in order to support his wife and eleven children. He would shave guests in a cage with a live lion, no doubt an early version of Siegfried and Roy. He would parachute out of planes. But it wasn't enough for Charlie. He wanted something newer and more dangerous to attempt. That's when he decided to try his luck over Niagara Falls in a barrel but not just any barrel. Charlie took every precaution. He hired a barrel maker to use the best quality wood and even had a light strung up inside. The barrel was very large and quite spacious, enough room for Charlie to bring on board an anvil for a ballast. On July 11, 1920, Charlie ducked into the barrel and closed the door, anvil in tow. His advisors, fellow Niagara Daredevils Bobby Leach and William Redhill Sr., had warned him to test the barrel before doing the stunt live. But Charlie was confident in his barrel, which had cost him a cool 20 pounds. He was from the UK, remember. This was his life savings. Now, what if the test was successful but damaged the barrel enough to render it useless a second time? Charlie just didn't have another 20 pounds to spend on a second barrel. He'd make one attempt and claim fame and fortune. Like his predecessor and mentor, Bobby Leach, 
who'd successfully gone over a barrel in 1911, though it took a six-month recovery. The stunt proved to be Charlie's last as the anvil sealed his fate. The barrel hit the bottom with such force that the only thing ever recovered was a single piece of oak and Charlie's right arm still attached to the safety harness. The other interesting story to come from Niagara Falls is fascinating because, well, even though the trip was technically successful, it still proved fatal to one of the two passengers aboard the barrel. On the 4th of July in 1930, George Stathakis, a Greek immigrant and chef living in Buffalo, New York, decided that he wanted to take the dangerous trip over the falls in the barrel. There's strange footage of the fateful trip on YouTube. George happily getting into the barrel and his pet turtle named Sonny handed in after him. Next, the boat pulls the barrel of George and Sonny out toward the falls and releases it, the barrel bobbing faster and faster till it goes over, to the excitement of the large Fourth of July crowd waiting with intense interest. However, to everyone's dismay, the barrel doesn't emerge on the other side. It was trapped behind a curtain of water, unable to be recovered for 18 hours. When the barrel was finally opened, George was found to have suffocated, since the barrel only held enough oxygen for eight hours. Sonny the turtle, however, was alive and well and pulled from the barrel and held out to the smiling onlookers, presumably while George's body was still in the barrel. One can only assume it had to do with the fact that George was an eccentric bachelor, and the crowd was simply happy to see something, anything, survive the journey. The barrel wasn't always used as an instrument for stunts and amusements. In earlier times, it was used as a method of torture dating back to ancient Rome. Used as a form of humiliation for drunkards, a person was placed in either an open bottom or closed bottom barrel, and secured at the neck so only their head was out of a hole in the top of the barrel. If the bottom was open, the drunk was forced to walk the streets in a humiliating display. Shame. 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 If the barrel bottom was closed, the person was forced to sit in their own waists until they were released. In ancient Rome, a criminal could also be placed in a barrel of feces. And every time they came up for air, the executioner would take a swing at their head. If they were able to survive the whole day had intact, they'd receive a pardon. If not, well, losing your head with a swift slice of a sword might be not the worst way to die. In the modern era, barrels have also been used to hide or dispose of bodies, usually of murder victims, as there's no real reason you need to put Granny in a barrel when she passes on. One of the most famous cases was that of Raina Marroquin, a woman that was found mummified inside of a barrel nearly 30 years after her death. On September 2, 1999, an obviously aged 55-gallon barrel in the crawl space of a New York home was found to contain a mummified pregnant woman. According to the autopsy, cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head, and along with finding the body in a barrel, murder was immediately suspected. Inside the barrel was also two rings, one with the inscription MHR, a locket that read to Patrice, love Uncle Phil, 
polystyrene pellets, green dye, and an address book. It's really pretty amazing, if you think about it, that they were able to determine not only the identity of the woman, but also likely her killer, simply from the items found in the barrel, and the barrel itself. Looking closely at the barrel revealed it was used to transport dye, and the markings on it indicated it was shipped to Melrose Plastics, a company owned by businessman Howard B. Elkins. In an uncanny coincidence, it was discovered the former owner of the home where the barrel was located was also none other than Howard B. Elkins. Using infrared technology, investigators found the name Reina Angelica Marroquin inside the address book found in the barrel. They found out that Reina Marroquin was a 28-year-old immigrant from El Salvador who had worked as a nanny for the owner of a manufacturer of synthetic flowers at a factory in East 34th Street, Manhattan. None other than, you guessed it, Howard B. Elkins. And the address book was also a phone number for our Kathy Andrade, who had been a friend of Marroquin. When called, Andrade told the police that Marroquin had been having an extramarital affair with Elkins, but had called Andrade to tell her she had become afraid of him after telling Elkins' wife about the affair. Andrade went to Marroquin's apartment but found it empty, and she was never heard from again. Police were able to locate Elkins, who at that point was living in a Boca Raton retirement community. They asked for a DNA sample to compare to the fetus sample, but he was uncooperative and refused to provide a sample. The next day, he was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. DNA testing after his death proved that he was in fact the father of the unborn child. To no one's great surprise. The story, unfortunately, could have avoided the tragic turn, as Mara Keane had called the police for help, fearing that Elkins was coming to kill her. Instead, New Jersey police failed to follow up on the call. The barrel has a long history of being used to hide bodies and a disturbing connection to early American mafiosi. It's believed that the Mafia has used the barrel to dispose of bodies since the 1870s, although the earliest reported deaths in New York were in 1895 and 1900. After killing their victim, the body would be put inside a barrel and then simply abandoned or even shipped to a fictitious address. In recent times, the body of Johnny Roselli an influential mobster that had helped the Mafia gain control of the Las Vegas Strip and Hollywood, was found in a barrel off the coast of Florida in 1976. Although the case has never been officially solved, some speculate he was not murdered by mobsters, but perhaps his body was put in a barrel to cast the blame on the mob. Roselli had a lot of enemies. It's believed he was skimming profits from the Las Vegas casinos, and he was also recruited by the CIA in a plot called Operation Mongoose to assassinate Fidel Castro. Roselli had been receptive to the plot since the Cuban Revolution in 1959 had driven out all of the casinos from Cuba. The CIA had provided poison pills to the mafia to put in Castro's food or drink, but was ultimately unsuccessful. After testifying to his involvement in Operation Mongoose, Roselli disappeared. 
Shortly before that, fellow mob boss, Sam Giancana, one of the other mob bosses recruited by the CIA, was found murdered in his home. Roselli's body was found later in the barrel. There's something really fascinating about how versatile the barrel is. Some use it to store a body, some use it to eat drum, and some, well, some use it for both. On January 30, 1891, an edition of the Wagga Wagga Advertiser, an Australian newspaper that still runs today simply as the Advertiser, reported the most gruesome of tales. The report was straight to the point, simply titled, A Human Body in a Barrel of Rum. The report reads, whether the wine merchant of Nancy in France, who recently sent a friend a barrel of rum containing a human body, that of the wine merchant's wife, mistook one barrel for another, will probably never be known, remarks the London Standard, since he has committed suicide. But the inference is that he did send this particular barrel of rum by mistake. He had promised a friend a present of the kind, and the recipients of spirits on arrival of the barrel hastened to taste its contents he found that the rum had a singular flavor. He retasted it without changing his opinion, and ultimately, in order to learn what there might be abnormal in the cask, he took out the head of it. A more lugubrious and terrifying discovery than which awaited him can scarcely be conceived. The cask contained the mortal remains of Madame Lobon, the wine merchant's wife who had disappeared in mysterious circumstances some three weeks previously. The police were, of course, at once communicated with, and a couple of agents were dispatched to the wine merchant's house, but only to find that he had destroyed himself. So the secret of who killed his wife, why the rum cask was chosen to hide the body in, and whether, intentionally or not, it was sent as a present, will remain a secret unless any of the several persons arrested on suspicion of having had a hand in the crime should enlighten justice and solve the mystery. Although the crime didn't take place in Australia and was simply reported in the local Australian newspaper Wagga Wagga, Australia has had its own fair share of bodies found in barrels. The most infamous and shocking was the serial murders and dumpings of bodies in Snowtown, a tiny town of under 500 residents in South Australia. In this tiny town, eight bodies were found dismembered and stuffed in barrels in an unused bank vault. Later, two more bodies were found buried in the backyard of a home in Adelaide. The murder sprees were committed by John Bunting, his neighbor Robert Wagner, and John Bunting's stepson, James Vlasicus. The fourth man, Mark Hayden was also implicated in the murders, but was only charged in helping dispose the bodies. According to the murderers, they felt they were doing a service to the community by killing those they believed were pedophiles, homosexuals, or of weak character. In some cases, the victims were horrifically tortured before being killed, dismembered, and put into barrels. Wagner said later at his sentencing, Pedophiles were doing terrible things to children. The authorities didn't do anything about it. I decided to take action. I took that action. Thank you. 
According to the reports, the victims were all known to the men involved, either direct acquaintances or even a close friend, relative, or in one case, spouse. What's so interesting in this case is that one of the men, Robert Wagner, was actually in a romantic relationship with a cross-dressing gay man named Barry, a.k.a. Vanessa Lane, when he met his new neighbor, John Bunting, in 1991. Six years later, in 1997, Lane would become the fifth victim in their murder spree. He was tortured with his toes crushed by pliers. Two of his former partners were involved in his murder, both Robert Wagner and Thomas Trevelyan. Thomas, who was only 18, was later found hanging from a tree, thought to have committed suicide. Later, it was determined he was murdered, presumably for discussing the murder of Barry Lane with others. Mark Hayden, the fourth accomplice to the murders, was never convicted of murder due to a hung jury and instead took a guilty plea to helping dispose of the bodies of his wife, Elizabeth Hayden, and Troy Ude, the half-brother of James Vlasicus. According to prosecutors, Hayden had laughed when Bunting opened the large barrel to show him the disfigured remains of his wife, including her severed hands. It was an incestuous murder group, with charming Bunting having his accomplices find and lure their own friends and family to their death. Only a couple of the victims were simply known of by the group. The vast majority were closely connected to one of the perpetrators. The last murder, and only murder to technically take place in Snowtown, resulted in a scene straight from a horror movie. The victim, David Johnson, was a stepbrother to Vlasicus, meaning that Vlasicus was responsible for the murders of his two siblings by marriage. Robert Wagner admitted to frying and eating the flesh of Johnson and sharing it with the others as they dismembered the body and stuffed it into a barrel. One of the officers later said about the crime, It was a scene from the worst nightmare you've ever had. I don't think any of us were ever prepared for what we saw. Inside of the bank was a variety of tools used to torture, kill, and even eat their final victim, including knives, a blood-stained saw, double-barrel shotgun, coils of rope, rolls of tape, rubber gloves, cloths, and a variac metallurgy tool that the killers would use to administer electric shocks to genitals and other sensitive parts of their victims' bodies. As horrific as the Snowtown murders were, at the very least the victims were identified and their families had the closure of knowing who was responsible. That's not always the case. In Bear Brook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire, the bodies of four female victims were found skeletonized in plastic barrels. In 1985, a hunter found the first barrel with the bodies of an adult woman and a young child. In 2000, another barrel with the remains of two young girls was also found. At least two of the victims were determined to have died from blunt force trauma. DNA testing revealed that the older adult female was related to two of the girls, either their mother, older sister, or an aunt. The third child was recently matched in 2017 to convicted murderer Terry Petter Rasmussen. Terry, or Bob Evans as he was also known, 
was linked to a long list of death and mystery, including the suspected murder of his girlfriend, Denise Boudin, a 23-year-old New Hampshire woman last seen in 1981. After presumably killing her, Terry kept her infant daughter Dawn before abandoning the girl in 1986. Now known as Lisa, she's alive and well now with her own family, trying not to dwell on the past. Terry has also admitted to killing and dismembering a Californian woman named Unsoon June shortly after eloping in their backyard ceremony in 2002. Although New Hampshire believes they know who took the lives of the four victims in the barrel, Terry died in prison seven years earlier, 2010, and the case of the four victims in the barrel will never be solved, nor were the victims ever identified. Barrels themselves have also been outfitted as weapons of mass destruction, known as barrel bombs. Used in warfare by Israeli, U.S., and Syrian forces, barrels were an inexpensive way to pack a large amount of explosives into a compact and, well, easy-to-move form of transportation. It's surprising, really, that humans could take something that started so innocently, a simple means to transport goods, and bastardize it into a killing machine. Barrel bombs are not only deadly, but they don't discriminate against the innocent. It's impossible to accurately aim a barrel being dropped out of a plane, which is why they are banned by the UN. However, it hasn't prevented their use since their construction is cheap, $200 to $300 per barrel, and they don't look like a traditional bomb. There's no red wires, digital numbers, or ticking noises. No, barrel bombs are much worse because they can camouflage in their environment. They can be filled with explosives or, as reported in recent years, chemical weapons. The barrel, like any other tool known to man, has a tumultuous history. Hammers can be used to build houses or to crush in a skull. Guns can be used to put food on the table or to destroy an innocent life. Chlorine can help sanitize pools and water supplies or used to torture civilian lives. Even something as nondescript and normal as a simple barrel has the capacity for unspeakable horrors in the right or wrong hands. And, listeners, that brings us to the end of our Dark Tales of the Barrel. Well, I don't know about you, Jim, but I certainly learned a lot about the many uses of barrels, dark and otherwise. Personally, my only thought about barrels is, um, I think the bottom of the barrel is where the answers are. And I'm not sure what else we can say, but in any event, it really doesn't matter because it is now time to move on to our regular feature, Police Blotter and Court News. However, before we move on, we would like to thank our guest narrator on the featured story. So, please, take a bow and tell our audience anything that you would like them to know about you. Hiya! I'm Squirrelfeed, and you've heard me on the Forgotten News podcast as well as Rooster Teeth's hit show, Ruby. 
I'm available for all your oral needs. From cartoons to commercials, holiday greetings to audiobooks, if you need audio, feel free to come to me. You can get in touch with me through my Patreon, Discord, Instagram, Fiverr, YouTube, or Twitter accounts. You can also simply message me on my website or shoot me an email. My Patreon, Instagram, YouTube, and Fiverr accounts all share the same name. Squirrelfeed. S-Q-U-I-R-E-L-F-E-E-D. My Discord is Squirrelfeed, hashtag 8526. My Twitter is at FeedAcorn. And my website is squirrelfeed.com. My email is squirrelfeed at gmail.com. Once again, that is S-Q-U-I-R-E-L-F-E-E-D. I gotta go now. Catch you later. Thank you so much. Great job. Yes, we can't thank you enough. Many, many thanks. Okay, everyone. We will now move on to the latest edition of our regular segment, Police Blotter and Court News, in which we bring you stories of small-time crooks and other random folks who, for one reason or another, ended up inside the teeth of the judicial system 100 or more years ago. Now, this particular police blotter segment on this episode will be narrated for you exactly as it was written in a column published in the Cleveland Plain Dealer on December 26, 1855, in the words of the unknown reporter that wrote it. You will hear about arrests and the aftermath of those arrests. But, please be aware that for most of the people mentioned in this column, it was very likely the only time that their name was ever printed in a newspaper other than, possibly, their obituary. However, before we begin the segment, we will mention two quick things. First, anytime you hear any amount of money described in this segment, please be aware that $1 in 1855 is the equivalent of approximately $30 in the present day. So if you hear a fine being ordered and maybe you think it's small, it really isn't. Because the purchasing power of a dollar was a lot more in 1855 than it is in the present day. We will now give a short warning to our listeners. The stories that you will hear in this police blotter and court news segment are essentially a slice of life from the dark street corners and dusty alleys of history. So, on this particular segment, you will hear various mentions of drunkenness, prostitution, spousal abuse, and theft, among other crimes. So, listeners, for that reason, if you think that hearing any of these things could possibly cause you to have a negative emotional reaction, then this segment might not be something that you should listen to. And if that is the case, just skip ahead roughly seven minutes from now, give or take a few, and this segment will be over. And, by the way, for the same reason, parental discretion is strongly advised, since there are 
some portions of this segment, which young ears probably should not be listening to. Now, finally, with all of that having been said, here we go. Police Splatter and Court News Municipal Court, Cleveland, Ohio, December 26, 1855. Lucretia Dunn was charged with operating a house of prostitution within one of the tenements owned by David Heller, who had brought the complaint against Miss Dunn. She was consequently brought up before the judge and was proved guilty, then fined $5 in court costs. However, at the trial, it was learned that Mr. Heller had accused her solely because she did not pay her rent. The prosecutor thereupon filed a criminal complaint against him for knowingly renting the building for the purpose of prostitution. Heller was found guilty, and the court imposed a fine of $20, which he paid, along with court costs. He then made a remark to the clerk, quote, the biter bit, unquote. John Polder was charged with two violations of the ordinance against selling liquor on Sunday. He was fined $10 for the first and 15 for the second, together with court costs. Peter Conlon was charged with being drunk and obstreperous on a public street. He was found guilty and fined $8 in court costs. Daniel McKenzie was arrested for abusing his wife. He was found guilty and sentenced to five days in jail, along with payment of court costs. John Adams and Harrison Willis were arrested for stealing two pairs of pantaloons from Englehart's clothing store on Superior Street. He was found guilty and sentenced to pay a fine of $20 and to spend 10 days in the dungeon of the jail on bread and water. Edward Dillon was charged with being drunk on Johnson Street. He was fined $8 in court costs. Timothy Collins was charged with disorderly conduct on a public street. He was sentenced to five days in jail. I hereby declare this court is now adjourned. And that brings us to the end of the police blotter and court news segment from December 26, 1855. We hope that this short visit to some of the dimly lit side streets and dark alleys of yesteryear was an educational and enjoyable experience for you. Well, it was educational, but I'm not sure about enjoyable. Did you notice the case with the guy who was arrested for abusing his wife? He only got five days in jail. Then, the very next case was about a guy who got caught stealing two pairs of pants from a clothing store. He got 10 days on bread and water, plus a $20 fine. The guy who was beating his wife didn't even get a fine. Yeah, those two cases. They kind of jumped out at me, too. 
I guess back in 1855, a woman held less value than a pair of pants. Hopefully, things are better today. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> and on that note, we would now like to express our deepest thanks to our guest narrator and guest voices on this Police Blotter segment. Hey, this is Erin from the Red Rum Blonde podcast. If you like true crime, check me out. I do a bi-weekly podcast that's about solved crimes, unsolved crimes, obscure, famous, any kind of true crime story. You can find me on Acast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to check the podcast out on social media, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email me at redrumblonde at gmail.com. Hope you check me out. Thanks. Hey, this is Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss. I have a podcast that is about understanding people at the heart of it. I generally look at people from the perspective of having been a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, so I understand life on either side of the locked doors, whether those doors are prison doors or hospital doors, but a lot of times the rabbit holes happen and the topics wander. So come check me out at IWB Podcast. Hi, this is Jerry Kokich. I'm a voice actor who's always working on my craft. My email address, should you wish to contact me, is j-e-r-r-y-k-o-k-i-c-h at yahoo.com. You can also find me on Facebook. And I have a website at jerrykokichvoiceactor.weebly.com. Y'all have a nice day now. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Um, I love you guys. You're wonderful. Now, listeners, we would very much like to be able to tell police blotter stories from the 19th century newspapers of your city or town. So, if you have the time and ability, just send it to us by email and we promise to use it as soon as we can. The address is ForgottenNewsPodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you are a regular listener, you will probably remember that on the last few episodes, we had announced that we were going to skip doing our recommendation and advice segment until Jessica was able to return to our show. However, because Kit was unable to be here for this episode, we are going to continue to hold off on doing the recommendation and advice segment until she returns, which we are pretty sure will be the next episode. And with that having been said, we will now move on. First, we want to remind you just once more to send your personal spooky or scary stories for our Halloween episode doesn't have to be a ghost story. Maybe you had an encounter with a UFO or a cryptid. Maybe you buried a body and now you have regrets. 
Also, it doesn't have to be something that took place directly with you. For example, it can be an incident that happened to your mother, or your best friend, or someone else who is close to you. But we only want stories that are true and not something you watched on a TV show or that you got out of a book or you saw on Reddit or somewhere else on the internet. The deadline for sending stories is September 30th and the address is ForgottenNewsPodcast at gmail.com. Also, put something like spooky story or scary story in the subject line. Okay, I think we've said enough about that. So, next, moving right along. Listeners, please go to Apple Podcast, also known as iTunes, and leave a five-star rating and review for the Forgotten News Podcast. It would mean a lot to us if you would do that. Reviews help other listeners to find the show, and that way they can hear the stories that we share with you. But only five stars, nothing less, because that helps give this podcast a bump in the rankings and makes it much more likely that other people will look for and find the show and listen. Next, if you have any comments or thoughts about this episode or about the show in general, please send an email to ForgottenNewsPodcast at gmail.com. We like hearing from our listeners, and constructive suggestions are always welcome. You can also interact with this podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Just type Forgotten News Podcast in the search box, and it will pop right up. And listeners, if you would like to contact me, it's really easy. I'm XOXO Jessica XOXO on Twitter and Instagram, and I love hearing from you. By the way, I'm sure that Kit would like to hear from you, too. The best way to contact her is Twitter. Her handle is at Kit Karen. I will spell that for you, just that there's no mistake. At K-I-T-C-A-R-E-N. And I think that is the end of the episode. I can't think of anything else. So, goodbye, everybody. But before we go, maybe we should give you one more important reminder. Get the COVID vaccine if you haven't already and wear a mask anytime that you are out and about. Hey, the life you save by doing that just might be your own. So, bottom line, just buckle up for a little bit. Wear a mask and get the shot. Stay safe. And you'll stay alive. Okay, now we are definitely at the end of the episode. And remember, history is no mystery. Thanks for listening. This episode was recorded before a live audience of us. Thanks for listening. But, listeners, whoever you are, whatever you do, and wherever you may be, don't forget to tune in to the next episode of the Forgotten News Podcast. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Forgotten News Podcast. You will now be returned back to the present day, and we hope that we can count on you to join us for our next episode. It's hard to get out of a barrel. It's slippery around the edges. And some people are happy to see you fall back in. Hi, listeners. This is Kit Ken. Would you like me to make a special audio recording just for you? Or perhaps you would like a recording by Jim or by Jessica. Believe it or not, we are offering you our voices and each of us are available to record for you. The audio can be almost anything. For example, a short story, a poem, a birthday greeting, a joke, an outgoing voicemail message, a ringtone. Hey, just be creative. I could even be the voice of your pretend girlfriend in Canada. Yes, I can be the proof you need for your folks or your buddies at work or whoever you need to convince. <laughs> but seriously, this is for real. So in other words, bottom line, I can record almost anything at all, up to a maximum of five minutes. And it's exactly the same thing for Jim or Jessica. Each of the three of us are available for all of your audio needs or desires. However, unfortunately, we can't do it for free as much as we wish we could. But don't worry, your price for any recording up to five minutes is only $5. That's right, listeners, only $5. So if you would like to have my voice or Jim's voice or Jessica's voice to record something for you, I will now quickly tell you exactly what you need to know. Just go to the address bar on your computer, laptop, or whatever device that you are using and type paypal.me backslash forgotten news podcast. I'm going to repeat that. So grab a pen and write this down. Paypal 
dot m e backslash forgotten news podcast. And then simply send the sum of $5. You, of course, will also need to send an email to forgotten news podcast at gmail.com that says which one of our voices that you want. You will also need to tell us exactly what it is that you want to have recorded. You can either write it in the email itself, or you can attach a written script or document, or possibly a link to a web page that contains whatever you want recorded. Then we will send you the audio as soon as we can, usually within a week from when we receive your payment. But if you have a specific deadline for the recording, please let us know, and we will immediately let you know if it is a deadline that we can do or not. So, in a nutshell, I have just told you how you can get our voices, any of our voices, on an audio recording of your choice. Although, we each reserve the right to reject any request for any reason. But, honestly, if we do that, we will issue you a full refund. However, for the most part, we are willing to record almost anything, up to five minutes, for the low, low price of only $5. And we look forward to getting your requests. Thanks so much.